Rolling. Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez with Brad Binkley. Hey, Binkley, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you staying dry? Yeah, I, I survived the hurricane. <laughs> because you stayed in your house with a roof on it and the door closed? Yeah, I, I hunkered down in the bunker. <laughs> I, I Actually, trees do fall down a lot in Atlanta. So although... Climate not, change, not trees over. <laughs> I, I honestly think it's like over regulation. They don't let you take down your trees, so they get old and the roots shrink from the droughts and blah, blah, blah. But that is interesting, something I'm afraid of. Interesting theory that the HOA wants you cutting down all your trees. You won't do it, so they engineer a hurricane. <laughs> That's what they did. It's the Homeowners Association. That's what I'm claiming. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What, what I do want to tell people, though, is that uh, I just posted on PropagandaReportDaily.com a really interesting interview of Ben Livingston. Alex Jones did it like six years ago. And uh, sometimes I wonder about Alex Jones. So it took me a long time to actually go look at this interview. But it's very compelling. He talks about being able to create torrential downpours from rain or uh, being able to change the kind of shape, direction, or velocity of a hurricane so that basically the top blows off instead of it blowing out the bottom just to be able to reduce the winds a little bit will make it from super damaging to really not that damaging. And it's a very interesting interview. highly recommend watching it all the way to the end. Yeah, I want to clarify too because we have had some comments and tweets about hurricanes and the ability to manufacture them. For for me, I'm not saying that Hurricane Irma or Harvey was v- manufactured out of thin air. It, it or even I, really controlled. Some yeah. people say it's controlled. I have no idea. I just know that what this guy's talking about is They can influence it. They do. Weather modification is real. It happens. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm exactly. If something's out there, they can influence it. They can affect it. Stuff like that. Not just you know snapping their fingers and bam, hurricane comes. That's not. That's not what I was. uh, No, I never. I absolutely do not think. I have no reason to think that they can control the direction of a gigantic hurricane or create it from thin air. I, I do think what this guy is saying is probably true, where they can make uh, heavier rains or make uh, uh, take the power up instead of down a little bit by releasing, I think it's uh, silver iodide or even uh, dry ice that they can they can kind of use that as like a magnet for the water pot particles and also create heat so that the heat makes it go up instead of down. I mean, it's just, that's what they do. He's a guy who does weather mod and he talks about it. He said he did it in Vietnam to create torrential downpours on the Vietnam. Operation Popeye. Isn't that what it was? Operation Popeye? Storm Storm Fury? I don't don't know Popeye. Maybe there's more than one. There's an Operation Popeye, I believe, that's in dispute. Some people say it, it didn't happen. But you know, if there's a if there was a weather modification program where they were trying to drown out the Viet Cong by you know facilitating the monsoon season, then they're going to tell us that that operation did did not exist. But there is an operation where they apparently were trying to do just that, and maybe there was another one as well. This guy said he was the guy who did it. 
Wow, in, that's in definitely Vietnam. interesting. Yeah, and so like he part had pictures. It's like this is the the first cloud I ever <laughs> seen it. It created fourteen <laughs> fourteen inches of rain on the Viet Cong and washed out a bridge that uh, we couldn't even bomb bomb out. So just so much water they couldn't tolerate it. And then right. there's, there's another article I posted with that of weather as force multiplier, but it was from the nineties and they're like, you know, if we could make it rain, it would be great. So I feel like now that document is a, like a limited hangout to try to make us think that they didn't have this technology like in the sixties. So they had it. And this guy was saying that they don't use it in this country uh, because they don't want the liability for being the one in control of the situation or at least being perceived to be in control. But he said, if you want it to be more sinister, you could think that rain, um, that heavy storms like that, super destructive storms are so good for, and this guy was like not down the rabbit hole seemed to me, but he said it is possible if you want it to be truly cynical that it's so good for the construction business. You, ha- you know, have to have destruction to have construction. He said that he thought was a thought and didn't, didn't, didn't you hear the same things that I heard about Irma destroying 90% of the keys yeah, they said it destroyed 90% of the keys. 90% of the homes in the keys was the headline for like a day and a half or so. And it was all that I heard it over and over again on multiple I networks. heard it too. And I was like, 90%? What, how is that possible? That place, that's an uninhabitable place. It should never have been inhabited. You can't destroy 90%. It didn't even, it just, uh, a place like that that has gotten hurricanes before either. It's like Japan where they build the houses out of paper just so they d- get destroyed, you know, just so you don't have to actually deal with the rubble because they get destroyed so often. I mean, like, you know, old Well, Japan. to begin with, how do you even measure 90%? How, how do you come to that conclusion well, so I assume that 90% of the houses were totaled. That was the claim, it would seem like, the way they were reporting it anyway. Right. And they even they even pointed to FEMA as the source. And so I looked it up, and FEMA said – that they that night that twenty five percent one out of every four houses was destroyed and that like sixty percent of the houses was were damaged. I question that statistic as well. But after I guess it changed whatever the narrative was, all the articles that were talking about ninety ninety five percent of the homes destroyed suddenly changed to damaged. Even though that wasn't even the number damaged that was being claimed, sixty percent right. was. But I still yeah. saw the dude Chris. Uh, Cuomo, Cuomo, Cuomo. Cuomo. He's talking to a New Yorker here. The Cuomos rule New York. Cuomo. They're the this king. Asshole is what I'm is what I'm going to know him as because he is. He was on yes. there this morning, like propagating the fear. Still going ninety five. He's standing in Key West, I guess, or in front of the green screen, saying ninety five percent. Even though they've already changed the whole narrative that it's not ninety five percent anymore. But this guy, I watched him reporting live on the ground the day, like Sunday, I think, the day it was supposed to hit. Or maybe a yeah, Saturday. Yeah. And he's, going, he's standing out there. It's not even that rainy. It's not even wet or, or that windy yet. And he's going, Hurricane Irma has forced us to wait. <laughs> but, but make no mistake about it. She's coming. She's going to hit hard. She's going to hit long. And it's going to hurt. Be it's afraid. Just right. Don't stop being afraid. This is our Don't message stop. to you. Do not stop being afraid. I when the first time I heard him, well, you know what else he did. One more thing. Yeah, what he but, did no, right no, after no. that is is 
he said, and we've got we've got breaking updates on a shift in the hurricane's path that we're going to tell you about right after this break. Like he's hosting American Idol, holding back <laughs> life-saving yeah. information. You know it's a right, call and right. holding back life-saving information <laughs> until after the break. It's a story, you know? It's not news. It's a story. It's, it's a, a show. Yeah. But the first time I heard him, I, I, I was just so amazed at like what an awful interview I was listening to. And I, I guess I wasn't watching it or whatever. I've, he has come across my sites a few times for just shocking assholishness, incompetence, <laughs> stilted reading, illogic. I mean, he's just terrible. And when I looked into who was talking, I didn't even know the name of the reporter. I'm like, this guy's the worst. I have to like stop what I'm doing and figure out who this is. And it was Chris Cuomo. And I was like, Chris Cuomo, like is in the Cuomo's, like his brother is the governor and his father used to be the governor of New York. I just started laughing at how ridiculous it is to think that the media and the government is not a continuum. The guy is, is reports, you know, his brother is the governor and wants to be the president. <laughs> And we were supposed to believe that this guy doesn't have the government's interest at heart, that he's not going to say. It's just like Mika Brzezinski. Her father was the national security advisor under Carter, the national security advisor. This is a guy who wrote a book called The Grand Chessboard, who yeah. wants to talk about isolating Russia and moving the pieces around. And she's on the news like, this is I'm going to give you some hard journalism. Some don't don't even think about my dad because I would never be influenced uh, by his macabre political uh, observations and goals. I'm just, I'm an independent woman and I'm, a, and I'm a, I'm a reporter with integrity. It's like, okay, that might be true, but in a business, you wouldn't have somebody's daughter running a division without saying, Hey, the presumption is that, you know, you're more loyal to your dad. So there might be a conflict here. And even if you think you can look past her father's influence on her, she sleeps with Joe Scarborough. That's Joe, enough right there to a dead kick her off. In my office. Yeah, Joe, there's a dead intern in the office. Scarborough is her. <laughs> that was your, that was a good, uh, that was your nickname for him. I love that. And I mean, this I, guy is the it, That's true, too. He's on there every morning, like holding Trump to the fire when it comes to you know morality the guy who has a dead intern show up in his office and nobody really ever figures out what happened it's not funny i'm that's actually a very kind of sorry story and and i feel bad for that girl and her family although it's a very weird story and you can never expect real investigations i mean more and more you just can't expect people who have are useful in the public eye to be taken down like that John Corzine. I mean, he's just such a great example of a guy who stole a bunch of money, but he was the head of Goldman and he was a senator from New Jersey and the governor of New Jersey, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he, he should have gone to jail. And he's, I think he just paid the money back. Like, I don't even think he's broke. But <laughs> it's option. just, we say it again. That's an option. I don't want to go to jail. Let me just pay you back. Let me steal as much as I can. If I get caught, I'll just pay it back. So that that way, you know, nobody gets hurt. It's like, no, that's why you have to go to jail because we don't want everyone doing it that way. So that stuff that similarly, of course, there was a big thing in the news. uh, I was on 60 Minutes. Steve Bannon was interviewed by Charlie Rose. And 
I Steve Bannon. So I only found out about this as my sister texted me. She's like, Oh, I love Steve Bannon. He's hilarious. He's on 60 minutes. What a straight shooter. This guy, he really gets it. And I'm thinking Steve Bannon, like, wasn't he, uh, just deep state all the way. And he was, he was a very, he was a like attache to the top admiral at the Pentagon. Uh, for two top admirals. So he, he was there longer than the top admiral. He went to Reagan's inauguration when Charlie Rose said, Hey, you know, you have all this like military references. You like biographies and stuff. And Bannon's like, Oh, I'm from a Navy family. My brother's in the service and whatever. Uh, his father was an AT&T telephone lineman, according to Wiki, but Bannon himself was super, uh, important in, the Navy and it, it, and then he went into the media. He was in Goldman for a while as investment bank. He went to the media, ended up at the white house. And when I was looking into this Watergate stuff and came upon that book, silent coup, they talked about how Bob Woodward was had, I think it was the exact same role as Bannon. He was at the Pentagon. I think he might've been the Naval attache. I tried to look it up real quick, but I, I didn't see it uh, handy. But he was, I think, allegedly Alexander Haig was the deep throat and he had met him through briefing him at the Pentagon. This is Bob Woodward, the journalist, supposed, who brought down Richard Nixon. So that guy went basically straight from the Pentagon to the media. So did Bannon. I mean, these guys are operatives. They're operatives and they they basically are maneuvering people in and out of the White House. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing that people don't see through that, that Bannon, people are like, ah, Steve Bannon for president. You know, that might end up being a possibility at some point, the way he's built a following. This I doubt. meme that he's been yeah. promoting. What he was saying in that interview, though, was, uh, I mean, if you didn't, you listen to him and like these CIA operatives, I, I don't know if he's a CIA operative, but I believe that he is some kind of intelligence asset or whatever. But they're, this is the thing about them and politicians. And you and I have known one or two people like this personally, and it's so completely out of the realm of your normal interaction that it's hard to get your mind around that they're these great liars that they can like look you in the eye and tell a story that's just not true. So I don't want to call this guy a liar, but what... I feel like I was thinking maybe he's telling the truth. He seems like he's telling the truth. But when he's saying things, I don't want to make Trump people mad. I'm sure Trump has a high IQ. But for him to say, you know, he has such a profound understanding of China. He's always, you know, like Lou Dobbs. He just really gets China. And he always has. He's just so, you know, he's he started studying Carl Jung. Uh, and he, so he really had this populist, he calls it popularist. And we had a little bit of a back and forth yeah, about that, that. <laughs> you know, and I, and he, he's just saying, he just has this, he's the greatest orator since William Jennings Bryant. And, and he, it's just because he connects to people on this visceral vernacular level. And, uh, and that's, and, and this is just Trump, a very powerful person. And I, I joined later you know it's like i he said he said i was reading in the new york times that he was down in the polls so i picked up the phone i called um 
guy uh, invested in Breitbart, Robert Mercer. And and I said, you know, what? would you consider supporting Trump? And, you know, he's a big Ted Cruz guy. And so he's telling this story, this this narrative that it's that Breitbart's that that Bannon's sitting in his kitchen, you know, and and these thoughts are emerging organically. So he actually says that it's like I was sitting in my kitchen with my coffee at my kitchen. My table. bloodshot. <laughs> reading <laughs> that's true there are some crazy stories that come out about his social life let's say so <laughs> so he's sitting at the table reading the new york times and just these thoughts are bubbling up in his head about you know maybe i should help this guy trump out and then just incidentally some years before in 2010 they had a had a meeting and he suggested to trump he should write a book you know laying out policy and i just didn't talk to him again for Six years. <laughs> it just the story. That moment right there, I, I heard that. I saw that part. I saw about half the interview. He couldn't remember the name of the book. He kept saying, I think it's called, you know, yeah. something, something. And I think the subtitles make America great again. Something like, of yeah. course he knows the title. It's just weird. Because yeah. it's not- you know what I wrote down in my notes? Who was the ghostwriter for that book? Because it was yeah. probably Bannon or one of his guys. Oh, I'm sure it was. You know, and 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 that's the thing is that I I realize I feel like this interview, the whole thing, was just it's just putting the pieces together for for the legacy. So this happens to me. You talk to guys, young, earnest people who think they know what's going on. Like uh, I'll go to some event, and there are other people who like think of themselves as politically savvy, but young. And you'll talk to them and they'll try to explain to you what's going on, you know? And you're like, yeah, I get it. Like, no, you don't understand. Trump's actually smarter than you think. Like Bannon said, when you talk to him, he really understood China a lot. So that stuff comes from Trump, not Bannon. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is the kind of, this is the blueprint. This is the paperwork, the narrative that puts words in people's mouths without them even realizing it. They want to understand a narrative they can hang all this shit on. And this is that narrative. So when Bannon, one thing that I've been starting to think is kind of weird is when, is that Hillary, I saw so many times this quote that she was just gobsmacked that when she lost, she never, it never occurred to her that she could have lost. She just couldn't believe that she lost. And finally I was like, does she know she was going to lose? Like, why is she saying that over and over again? And like, I originally said maybe a one percent chance she knew. We went back and forth a few weeks ago. You you went out there with four percent, I think. I'm up to two or three. But but one thing I was thinking was I kept thinking she came out and called a lot of poor people who could be Democrat voters a basket of deplorables. I mean, nobody would do that. Trump wouldn't do it. Trump didn't go out and say those skanky liberals who like Hillary. He said Hillary is a skank. He didn't say her voters were skanks. So I thought, who would ever do that? Even if she's a moron and just, you know, presumably the words are written down. She talks like she's reading them. Who would do that? So I used to think Trump was lost on purpose. And now I kind of wondered if Hillary lost on purpose and then Bannon says, when I heard her give this speech criticizing the alt-right, I thought, she she doesn't even know it, but she's tanking. This is it. She just demonstrated that she's going to lose, that she's so stupid. How could she do that? 
And I feel like all of this stuff is just to solidify a narrative. Or am I am I crazy? Am I crazy to think that things are this um, uh, orchestrated? I think things are orchestrated. I don't. I don't at all doubt that. I. It, it's tough to tell. I think there's competing forces among the elites. I think that. I think that they they might at times work together to, to manipulate the public. But what you just specifically said about the basket of deplorables, that in my opinion is was the establishing of this broadening definition of what hate is. So that basket that she established, I think it was back in August of 2016, has been the basket that ever since then they've been throwing white nationalists, alt-right, Nazis, anybody who disagrees with the narrative gets slapped with some label that ends up in that basket that can then be marginalized and can be silenced either by the tech companies, as we talked about, or through government intervention. We played those clips yeah. last week from Indivisible where they even talked about, we're not just focusing on the Confederate statues, we're focusing on everybody. So everybody who's a white nationalist. So it's that was the beginning of creating a basket yeah. that everybody yeah. who's going to be silenced is going to be put into. I totally agree with that. And uh, I furthermore would say that was being done. I think a caller on the show said this, that that was being done in that way at that time for whether she won or not. Like this this particular oh, yeah. device. And I remember a couple of months before that, I saw that movie Hell or High Water, and I came and told you about it and said – that they were, this was before the basket deplorables thing. They were setting up the white trash as the despised minority. Like there was going to be a change and that was what was going on. So yeah, I agree that that thing was orchestrated and the main purpose, I would agree, is to set this up. But he said something about the Billy Bush story that I thought of you because you said, can I tell you this or did you want to add to the basket thing? No, go ahead. Okay. You said that you think that they released it on uh, themselves. And I, I, now listening to him, I agree with you. And I'll tell you what he said. He said, Billy Bush Saturday, Billy Bush weekend. That's what he kept referring to it as. <laughs> he, yeah, he said that. Uh, that day that it all came out, Trump called everybody in a room and went around the room and said, are you in or you out? You're with me, you're against me or whatever. And Rance Priebus was, said, you need to resign immediately, blah, blah, blah. And he went around the room and he ended with Bannon who said, there's a 100% chance you're going to win this election. And Trump was like, right on. And we went and we did a debate and blah, blah, blah. He said, but he said what, what the Billy Bush event actually did he said what it actually showed, people were freaking out, but what it actually showed was two things. Trump does not scare or choke. He said so really, he really came out ahead because he went to the debate and he didn't take any crap. And as a matter of fact, we had already set a trap and we were waiting for them to walk into it. And this was the perfect opportunity. That's when I trotted out Bill Clinton's women. So that was we 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 one up them right then and there that very weekend. And then he said it also showed that the mainstream media was across the board viciously out to get him, even Fox. 
I don't think he said even Fox at that point. It was somewhere else where he said even Fox. Uh, but then he, and he said, you know, he was a guy, he was on top of the world. He had all this money, great looking wife, and he didn't actually add grab chicks by the pussy, but like, that's what he was throwing out there. And he said, Bannon was saying, you see a guy like this, a billionaire, a billionaire who lays it all out on the line and puts up with this kind of crap for what? Cause he's a patriot and he loves this country, which by the way, was the tweet my sister sent on behalf of my mom to my show on Saturday, which I think was the day before this was aired. But that's the kind of meme this guy gets in your head. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that when life gives you lemonade, you grab it by the (laughs) pussy. (laughs) Yeah, and it works out for him. Yeah. So, I mean, he just, and then he, and he added all these details, like, like the question, he didn't let Charlie Rose ask the question, but he said, you know, uh, is that Charlie Rose alive? I, I, I couldn't tell. He, he was alive. And I think that he was actually seething with rage, but he's so decrepit <laughs> that I don't think he could yeah. <laughs> up straight. So he was trying to hate on him and everything. And Bannon was just. You know, in his space. Yeah. <laughs> but he but he added some detail about Clinton's women. He said, so uh, we had this deal that Mark Cuban couldn't sit in the front row because he was trying to get in Trump's head. And uh, and then there he was in the front row, and they were like, oh, yeah, we don't have the security to make a change like that or whatever, dumb. And he said, uh, so that's when we just we just did the same thing. We put Bill Clinton's women uh, in, in the VIP box. So he had to walk past them. So he's telling the story and all these little details are coming out. Like if you watch the whole interview, it's just a very crafty little story that, that just ties everything up in ribbons. It really reinforces the authenticness, the authenticity of the whole Trump thing, which I think now when we look at what's happening, I think it's easy to say the whole Trump thing well, I shouldn't say easy to say. I think in my mind, it it's becoming clearer to more people that the Trump thing was a fraud in that, like he got rid of the DACA thing, the Dreamers executive order. And it looks like he's he's inviting Congress to actually make something much more serious than the Dreamer thing. I think tax reform and infrastructure spending are not things that anybody really cared about. I think he's going to actually be the guy who gets a bipartisan immigration bill through it, that the mainstream Republicans could not get through. You know, I really feel like all the things he said he was going to do, he he tried to do in a bombastic fashion and failed. And this stuff that he really wants to do, the Democrat stuff, increasing FEMA, more aid, get rid of the debt ceiling, maybe even screw up the voting so you don't need a supermajority, get an immigration compromise going, get a totally cronyistic tax reform bill through, and a trillion dollars of cronyistic infrastructure spending. None of this stuff is Republican stuff. It would make you think, it would lead you to believe that that this guy... That it was all just a, a a sham from the beginning, and I think that was why this uh, Bannon came out to kind of reauthenticate the whole um, operation. Yeah, he's going to pass a new immigration bill through Congress. It's going to be called the Hopefuls. Oh, we've you replaced think so? the Dream- We've replaced the Dreamers Act with a, a bill that works for Trump, everyone. It's called Trump's the Hopefuls. Hopers. Trump's Trump's Hopers. Hopers. They love Trump. <laughs> I what's told your, you I love your- these people. Yeah. What's your main takeaways from the, if the, you had to give a bottom line takeaway from the Bannon interview? 
the authenticity that he was reinforcing? I think it was to, I think the number one goal there was to make it look like, and it may even have been true, but uh, to make it look like there, there's a, that the battles that we see are really the battles. So the battles between the Democrats and the Republicans and the battles within the Republican Party right. that you thought you understood are really the ones you need to watch. Interesting. Yeah, that's that'd be a great uh, – that's a good way to keep people focused on those surface-level surface, surface level conflicts without kind of looking what's deeper behind the curtain. People and should know – trusting the media. That's what? what the media is reporting. Keep trusting the media because that is yeah, what the media is reporting. Bannon, people should know that Bannon years ago declared he he I mean he openly declared a propaganda war that he was going to carry out on the left. So he he is a propagandist. I mean everybody in the media is yeah. a propagandist to a certain extent, whether you agree with the, his ultimate ends or not. Because even people who we favor use propaganda for the purpose of grabbing attention. So whether people agree with his ends or they don't. It is important to know that he is openly – he's acknowledged that he is a propagandist. So asking questions about his actions are – it should be done whether you like him or not. And if you look at his career, it's kind of interesting. So he started this military intelligence um, position, he went to Georgetown, went to Harvard. He worked at Goldman in M&A, Mergers and Acquisitions, for media. Actually, I think he left as a VP, which really isn't actually that high-ranking, and then he started his own investment banking kind of media thing, made movies out in Hollywood, whatever, sold it. And when he sold it, Seinfeld was in its third season. And instead of getting uh, like all cash or whatever, some of what he got was royalties from Seinfeld. He still gets royalties from it. Right. I mean, how the hell do you negotiate that deal? Who at Seinfeld is giving that up to some guy? You know what I mean? There's no way his investment bank, I don't care what an investment bank is a bunch of people in a room. It really is. So there's just no chance. I I don't know. I mean, maybe it had some really great team and strong contracts. I don't know, but it just seems so crazy that this guy got Seinfeld money. And that way he can just, it's kind of like Obama's book. It's just like this guy makes millions of dollars every year for, for one or two books I don't, I feel like other people are buying those books, you know, like George Soros is buying the books. So there's a way to get them the money. Exactly. (laughs) To keep their operations going. It's not even like payoff. It's like salary. It's like you can, then you can go out and be this kind of versatile operator. Even George Soros, I think, has the money that the money is there for the operation. It's not an afterthought. Like they get, they get the guys, big tech guys. I, I really think it's true for all of them. Omajar, Zuckerberg, um, Jobs, Gates, Peter Thiel. Like I think these guys, it's a give and take kind of dance along the way to find the right guy who's going to be able to do it all, the tech stuff and then the operative stuff later. But they all end up being important operators in, um, and the Google guys in, in the world picture. Omajar was behind the Ukrainian. Uh, coup. You have Zuckerberg with all this. He's behind, he's talking about the Russian investigation. He's, he's obviously a big part of the surveillance state. Peter Thiel is on the Bilderberg steering committee and was a heavy donor to Ron Paul's campaign. I mean, that guy, hopefully he's, he, (laughs) hopefully the Ron Paul guys were not in on it too, or Ron Paul himself. 
Peter I don't Thiel. think so. Peter also, Thiel. Peter I've mentioned this. I've mentioned this before. He also is funding some research into using the uh, the blood of the young to <laughs> re-energize or, or a fountain of youth, so to speak, for older people. That's so gross. That was on Silicon Valley, like they that hilarious comedy. They do that. I think. You know, maybe it's predictive programming. They put that stuff out there. That's been but, the uh, claim yeah. that the Queen of England's been doing that for centuries. Oh, <laughs> is she supposedly centuries old or just different Some ones? Some people think she's like 400 years old. Others say that all of the queens have been doing it. That's why that's the that is the reason that they say that they're they have found like the bones of children on the Queen's Manor. I don't know the validity I, behind heard, all of that, but I, I remember the first time I stumbled upon that stuff about like drinking babies' blood and rituals and yeah. human hunting parties and all this kind of stuff. I was like, okay, like you know, I you lose me there. You lose me. I don't get. There's a few things I just I can't. I, I just don't believe. I, right. Then there's a crazy interview with this woman. It's such a. I mean, she's like heaving and sobs for hours talking about how she was one of these children in Belgium. I've posted it many times, this video. It's so, so awful. I think it's on my website, monicaparesho.com. And I now I wonder. I mean, Well, I after the Jimmy Seville thing, he had uh, Jimmy Seville is the guy who was friend to the queen, friend to yeah, the prince, Savile. advisor to the prince, Jimmy Savile. And back in, he was a major public figure, a beloved public figure in the yeah. UK. And then he died. In 2012, and all of these, there had been allegations for years, but they covered them up. And it, it just, all the information came flooding out that he had a rape dungeon in his basement. He molested like hundreds of kids. And he, he did fundraising for sick kids. He did fundraising so he could get close to sick kids. <laughs> right. I mean, it's really twisted. And this guy was, he was close to, and close to the, the royalty there. And they say that he was just a tip of the iceberg, but everything has been kind yeah. of silenced uh, in that investigation. I, I don't, it would not surprise me if that type of behavior when it comes to the using the blood of the young has been going on for centuries because people in the olden times didn't live by the same standards that we do now. There are people that had these cultural beliefs that were just to us seem just kind of insane, but it wouldn't surprise me if some of those have been passed along to elites you know they, they I create think the idea is this occultism is when yeah, it's this yeah. uh it's there's power in the ritual i don't know if they think there's actually power in the blood but one of the things this chick was saying was that if you couldn't like they'd stand around in a circle and if the if you couldn't rape the girl you they killed you so that compromising you, people right? the idea would be if you could and they all saw you you were one of them yeah. But if you couldn't, you were never going to be one of them. The Bolshevik book that I read about the strategies and tactics they use, they talk about – they didn't obviously say that kind of a specific instance. But they say that one of the things that they do is they they test people who are going to be kind of their their soldiers, and they test to see how far they'll go. They 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 get compromising. They put them in compromising situations to see what they're willing to do. So they do this kind of stuff in order yeah. to get control over people. Yes, and to test them and all that. So I, I, so I don't even know if it's for purposes of uh, actual magic with a K, like they really think yeah. that it makes them stronger, or if it if it's this network effect, 
or or if there's something to you know baby's blood making you younger i guess we gotta wait to hear what peter Thiel says yeah but i've I, seen but a this, lot of themes yeah. of that in the on television kind of lately so it's one of those cultural themes that might be emerging to where maybe they try to you know, yeah, maybe there's some, some science behind it. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, to normalize yeah. it. One other thing that okay. Bannon said just before we move on is uh, that Sherrod Brown, he said that she would give would, – would have given the Republicans a run for the money if she had been on the ticket as vice president or whatever. So I think that was big, big a big ad for Sherrod Brown. Who is Brown. that? I don't know. I First of all, I always thought it was Sherrod. Let me, let me look. I mean, I guess she's uh, – Congresswoman. Sherrod Brown, Senator for Ohio. So I guess she is a U.S. Senator. Oh my gosh, it's like a male. <laughs> I thought it was a female. Like it shows you what the uh, what the value of that ad was. Sherrod Brown, <laughs> that's what the guy said. Sherrod Brown. Well, it's white, looking white guy. guy. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a white guy. I don't get it. Uh, his name really throws <laughs> you through a loop, doesn't it? Really it's like, oh, it's does. a woman. No, it's a black guy. It's a white guy? <laughs> right. He's a Democrat. Anyway, um, so I guess I now I'm just thinking it's going to be him and uh, Elizabeth Warren. Well, that'll be fun. <laughs> Pocahontas. Hillary Clinton looking over their shoulder. I think she's – I think she did her job. Her job was to get to run – I do not think she ever – I don't think anybody was ever going to make her president. Well, Hurricane Irma washed her ashore this past week, and she reemerged from the waves to promote her book. Yeah. Which it's interesting to me because whenever anybody talks about Donald Trump's book, it's, oh, he didn't write it. He had a ghostwriter. He didn't write that. He's an idiot. But when Hillary <laughs> Hillary's book comes out, it's, oh, it was so profound. She revealed her soul. Nobody mentions that she didn't write her freaking book either. Definitely just, not. She probably I mean, wouldn't even talk to the guy who wrote it. She was probably like, don't waste my time. <laughs> Probably hasn't read it, other than the few audio excerpts that we've heard. She, she can barely even... read it. Is it. Her reading it is worse than her campaign speeches. Right, and her book was on the bestseller list before it was even released. See, that's payola to me. Somebody's that's, that's George Soros with a million copies in his closet, like you said a minute ago. Is what or that whoever, is. you know, like George Soros has the metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whoever <laughs> buys it. Next to his name. So I want to play, because she's... She's been making the rounds, and she is repeating her talking points that she's giving on these interviews are you know verbatim what's coming from her book. So her book is her script, and she's repeating it over and over again on various networks. And what she says is going to be repeated by progressives who follow her. Obviously, she's going to be upsetting some of the Bernie people, which uh, which is interesting to me that she's still doing that because that kind of one of the Bolshevik tactics was that they hate people who are similar to them. So the oh, communists, yeah. the communists hated the the liberals, the liberal Democrats that weren't communists more than anybody else, and they they tried to slander and bring them down by infiltrating and taking over their organizations more so than anyone else because they didn't want the competition. They weren't they weren't afraid of the the conservatives because the conservatives weren't targeting the same audience. So right. I, I and see those a guys that you're on. talking about were more like the guys who were winning those battles were the fraudsters, like the Bolsheviks were right. the the Western the guys who were secretly financed by the West, the Mensheviks were the real one that they, that they killed. Right. For example. Yeah. 
And not even not even the people who were like the Mensheviks were also revolutionary in a sense. But after it moved beyond that, the Bolsheviks targeted they specifically targeted social democrats and liberals in america because they were the easiest to infiltrate the groups made up of them they could infiltrate them most easily because they could mimic their idealistic vision of equality and all that and it was totally a fraud but because they were so easy to manipulate they just took over these groups and then they just they they pushed all the people out who were originally in it or in the case of the mensheviks they you know killed them or you know told them to go to another country so i point that out because this is indivisible this is what's going on with indivisible and the resistance the people controlling it are doing the same thing to the people that are marching in the women's march so tell your friends that (laughs) they're in the middle of a bolshevik revolution if they tell you they're going to the next women's march i would say i have something to say about go ahead Uh, may i i would actually take it as a cautionary tale something that i've observed or like thought of but never really read a thesis on it or anything like that, but that it seems like these major revolutions have each one of them were hijacked. So the Mensheviks actually come in and topple the government and they're the revolutionaries, actually kind of the startup entrepreneur. And then they get their head chopped off by the, by the, you know, the VC firm that comes in and wants to take advantage of it. And then, and the French revolution was the same way. Like the original revolution got overturned by, I think the super bloody one was was getting rid of the original revolutionaries and putting the new ones in. And I would say the American Revolution also, that the Articles of Confederation were more representative of what people were willing to fight and die for. And then only like eight years later, it got replaced by the Constitution, which to me was Alexander Hamilton, basically an agent of the British crown, certainly of the banks for sure. Did Bannon praise Hamilton in that interview? I did not notice that. I think I would have. Because I hate Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I would have noticed that. But uh, yeah, so I feel like every revolution gets hijacked. So maybe that's why I'm not. Actually, the Ron Paul revolution got hijacked by the Trump Bannon populist revolution. Yeah, there's no doubt always an attempt to hijack a popular yeah, so revolution. So you just have to be idea. careful. Yeah. That's why I always emphasize the principles rather than the power. So it's like what Rand Paul did, I think, was to compromise to see if he could get some power and get a few things done. Or people who wanted the Ron Paul revolution went for Trump because he could actually get a revolution done, even though he was not going to usher in anything that you could predict or hang your hat on as a a tried and true principle that would achieve your goals, which are presumably liberty, justice, and truth. Uh, so I just I, that that actually is a little bit tricky because these things do get uh you know they get hijacked so anyway yeah they get hijacked and the public that has been coerced into well, they get hijacked and they get created that's one of the things sometimes they if there's one there that's gaining power then they hijack it if they need to create one they will create one out of thin air and they will always do it in the name of democracy and equality it's always going to be in the name of whatever value words trigger the most support in people at the time which a lot of the times when it comes to the bolsheviks has in fact it's always been you read this book and you see the exact same talking points bernie sanders is spouting right now you read this book you see the exact same slogans that people marching in the women's march are carrying right now so it's been pretty steady in the in the appeals they've made to 
the public, and they always target people who are feeling the most pain and feeling the most oppressive at the time, uh, because th- those people, like we've talked about before, they feel like there's an immediate crisis going on. Like, like there's nothing else they can do until they take care of this crisis. And by focusing attention on that crisis, people don't look broadly to realize that they all have conflicting interests and that they're just kind of being manipulated based on hate and fear in the moment. And using those value words is how they unify those groups. We went on a a little bit of a a tangent there from the Hillary. I think uh, um, Hillary was talking about Bernie in her book. So her book is out, and she's been promoting it. I want to play a clip. We played this clip before, but I want to point out a a couple of specific things that that come from this clip because I think they're important because we're going to be hearing this a lot, especially tomorrow because her book officially comes out tomorrow. Everybody should have a party, I'm sure. Just because people hate her so much, her book is going to get high sales, which is incredible to me. Just make yourself a hateable figure. People will buy your book because they want to make fun of it. Really? Right. You think so? I do. I think so. I think it's gonna. I think people are going to buy it because I, I was like, man, I need to buy that book. And I'm like, holy cow, I just said that. I just and I, I want to read it for the propaganda purposes. But I've heard a lot of other people that are like conservative talk about how excited they are. No, I can't yeah. stand reading stuff like that. I have to force myself. I can barely. I absolutely cannot watch CNN. I can barely even watch Fox, and I absolutely can hardly tolerate ever listening to a politician talk, much less paying for a book. I don't know. Well, the reason why I think that they've been playing audio clips from it and that there's already like an audio reading of it done by her is because people can't stand the sound of their voice and they will hate listen to it. It drives people crazy. I mean, it triggers people hearing these clips of her. She, she, the clips are the most poorly read things ever. I don't know why she would read it so poorly. Have somebody else read it. I think it's intentional. I think it's to yeah, drive that's, people that's mad. That's the only thing that I could – I have to agree. It seems like a lot of the stuff she does can – has to have the purpose of driving people away. Uh, yeah, it, it would seem so. You know what it I mean? Would, yeah, it would totally seem so. How did you get any if you're that bass backwards in life? How could you get get out the door in the morning if you don't understand the basics about how to say hello? Yeah. She's trained in these agitation tactics. It's, she was trained uh, at them with Saul Alinsky from a very early age. Yeah. Yep, yep, so yep. here's that clip. Sorry to trigger. It's going to trigger me, but here it is. <laughs> this is not okay, I thought. It was the second presidential debate, and Donald Trump was looming behind me. Two days before, the world heard him brag about groping women. Now we were on a small stage, and no matter where I walked, he followed me closely, staring at me, making faces. It was incredibly uncomfortable. He was literally breathing down my neck. My skin crawled. It was one of those moments where you wish you could hit pause and ask everyone watching, well, what would you do? Do you stay calm, keep smiling, and carry on as if he weren't repeatedly invading your space? Or do you turn, look him in the eye, and say loudly and clearly, back up, you creep, get away from me. I know you love to intimidate women, but you can't intimidate me, so back up. I chose option A. I kept my cool, aided by a lifetime of dealing with difficult men trying to throw me off. I did, however, grip the microphone extra hard. 
I wonder, though, whether I should have chosen option B. It certainly would have been better TV. Maybe I have overlearned the lesson of staying calm, biting my tongue, digging my fingernails into a clenched fist, smiling all the while, determined to present a composed face to the world. Okay, I have two two points about that clip, which to me is some of the biggest – one of the most textbook pieces of propaganda you're ever going to see. One, option B, hashtag option B. Look for that. Hashtag option B, what would you do? She, she, she is not just reading her book. She is literally talking directly to her followers, and she is agitating them saying, I wish I had chosen option B. I wish I had stood up to him. I wish I had, had lashed out at him. She is agitating her followers to continue to protest and to do increasingly more tense activities uh, against Trump. So that's what that was. That was a call to action. The end of that was option B. Look for that in the indivisible movement because that is what she's telling them to do. That will be a rallying. Oh for the yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, so like when her. Elizabeth Warren's is nevertheless she persisted, which is what yep. Mitch McConnell accused her of persisting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's this, yeah. this big, uh, this man who's just a monster was following right. me and he trying to grab me by the back of my pussy or whatever. And, <laughs> Ooh, and I'm and, sure he was not. <laughs> and, and, but that. that that's what she was – he's intimidating me. He represents every – all the evil in the world right now, and I didn't stand up to it, but what will you do? I, if you listen back right. to it, she's using NLP. She's using those techniques of talking directly to the – like the NLP? slow talking. What I meant. It's um, Anthony Robbins. It's an Anthony oh, Robbins really? type thing. Funny. Yeah, where he trained like President Bush and how to do it and Clinton and stuff like that. And she oh, was see, doing this. don't believe there's like – psychological think tanks over this stuff oh my but gosh, read one see. of those books i mean obviously then so when people like when bannon says she obviously didn't know what she was doing making that speech it's like what are what are you talking about exactly. she's got billions of dollars behind her she's got billionaires behind her she has the democrat establishment whatever the establishment above the parties is has a hand in this they have they know what every word means and does and how to say it and they rehearse them and that's all they do that's what their job is yeah. when obama won sorry in the last his last one he had a thank you thing in like a basement to say thank you to the staffers and he started crying you can find it like those are this is the most genuine moment of his entire life he started crying and and i was thinking it was so clear that this guy, they worked him to the bone on the campaign trail. The rest of the time, he's eating ice cream and whatever, watching basketball. But this time, you know, it was real. It's because that's what their work is. And that, and and if she fell on her face, it was on purpose and or whatever. You know what I mean? Like if she didn't, if she's delivering that deadpan, not the book necessarily, but the campaign, it's on purpose. And you can see when you read a book like Tony Robbins. That yeah, is, they've they been know. training in this stuff for they've been studying and, and you know compounding literature about the psychological mechanisms that you can the way that you can do this stuff for over a hundred years. You've uh, I think you you talked about one of the, the colleges they do it at. It's associated with Bernays and Freud. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, there's the Tavistock Institute where they do all the research yeah. on. But they've been studying this stuff for over a hundred years, and they don't teach it in the public schools. So that that to me is oh, like, okay. that is when I got turned off to the public schools. They uh, intentionally took rhetoric out, not only so you could not be uh, effective in a civil and it's like civics, but that you couldn't recognize when other people were using these techniques on you. And in right. this in this thing by Bannon. 
In the interview, he says Trump's reading Carl Jung, that he's the, one of the greatest orators of all time, <laughs> that he really knows what he's doing. And so Bannon is saying, which I, I don't know if it's true or not, whatever, but that Trump is doing the stuff. He didn't even really say he was a natural. He said he was doing like he was figuring it out. I mean, that's interesting. He's reading Carl Jung. I'm reading Carl Jung also. I thought he was going to say Mein Kampf because he did read Mein Kampf. Well, Mein Kampf, if you read it, I think many people will be surprised by it. Don't get me wrong. It's filled with racism. But a lot of the other stuff, I think a lot of people would be very, very surprised. I'm afraid to read it. I don't think I would (laughs) have the stomach for it if I I can't listen to politicians. No, I think you should read it because I think you'd be very, very, very surprised. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of racism in it. I can't. According to his book, Hitler's book. Mm -hmm. And his book is propaganda, and his book is was intended to spread oh, really? his message. Okay. Yeah, all the the books that all these guys write is, is propaganda, it, right. and his, okay. it was intended I I to, to spread his word, his theory to the the masses. <clears throat> you know, to mass produce it. You know, he can only go to so many speaking events, so you mass produce a book, so you can get the the theory in the hands of as many people as possible. That's right. the idea. He even says that Hitler even says that in in his book, but. According to him, and maybe he's lying because he knows that you can't just come out and be racist and win too many people over. But when you read the progression of his ideology, he hated the communist before he was an anti-Semite. He had never heard the word Jew, according to him, until he was like 15 years old. You read some of the stuff, and you're like, that's interesting. Then he says something really racist, and you're like, oh, man, that was racist. And he makes you feel bad reading it. But yeah. it's inter- it's interesting to read because – Seeing the mindset and – or at least the, what they're trying to propagate anyway behind these dictators and world leaders, kind of like Brzezinski and, and Hillary and Trump and all of them, it just gives you, I, in my opinion, an insight to – just to the way that they try to deceive people and also a little bit of where they, where they come from because there's always going to be a little bit of truth uh, amongst the lies. Well, you know? it has to be or it wouldn't work. I mean, that's what people don't understand. If there's no truth in it, it doesn't fool anybody. And that's where you can even get to this art of ambiguity where every dialectic that gets rolled out, the big picture stuff, is always, always has both on both sides, good and bad on both sides. It always yeah. has that. Yeah. That's why these stories are never cut and dried. Some guy got killed defending his own property because the DEA was trying to seize land and he wasn't a drug dealer. That happens all the time. You never see protests about it because that's no. There's no ambiguity there. You only they own the mainstream media only gives attention to the stuff that has both truth, you know, good and bad on both sides. That's all. Yeah, that's and, the only thing that ever gets anywhere. In the case of Hitler, Hitler was a conspiracy theorist. He was absolutely a conspiracy theorist, according to his book. When you read his book, he was a hardcore conspiracy theorist. So in my opinion, that that book right there, and it has it's emerged, it's been used in this way in the past year, is a way to marginalize anybody that you can label as a conspiracy theorist. You can say, Oh, well, that was something that Hitler might have said. You well, I, I mean? read two quotes recently that that it, it to be a Conspiracy theorists, this was in the Wall Street Journal. Brett Stevens, I think, wrote it during the Trump campaign. He said to be a conspiracy theorist is de facto anti-Semitic 
because the complete, I didn't really get it, the complete conspiracy, C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T, is, uh, I guess this, I don't know if he wrote about this, but, and I only discovered this, this Protocols of the Elders of Zion. I only ever even heard of that thing when the Wall Street Journal said that Tamerlan Sernayev had a copy of it. And it's this uh, document from, I guess, 100 years ago, whatever, that says how like the elders of Zion, Zionist Jews, got together and decided to take over the world. Now, some people say that it's a metaphor. Like The problem with it is that it really reads like, who would ever write that and then sign their own name to it? You know, it looks yeah. like a setup. And that, like, if you look at, um, who's the guy who wrote Behold a Pale Horse? It's in that. And it says... Uh, it's in that, and it says that just replace Jews or Zionists, I forget what it says in the actual document, with Illuminati. That it's really, so So no matter yeah. where you go to, to, to figure out the, like we we talked about, is it the British Empire? Is it the Rothschilds? Is it Israel? Is, is the Rothschild the British Empire? Is it the Illuminati? Like anywhere you go, you can always like peel it one step further. You can... I mean, I'll listen to one podcast and he'll have one interview, our interesting times. One interview says, absolutely, uh, it's the Zionist conspiracy. And the next guy will say, absolutely, it's the British Empire. The next guy will say, absolutely, it's the Vatican. You know, like they. And you're exactly right. That's yeah. what Hitler's book is. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of the same premises. He just says it was the Jewish people. And I should be clear. I don't believe that. I, I do not believe that stuff he says. It's, it's, it's crazy because reading some, somebody's book just for the purpose of historical purposes, you're so compelled to, to qualify that. But like, that is what he does. He is, he says the same stuff and then he pins all the blame on Jewish people. I mean, who, I did not read it, but. I I wonder sometimes if that too is a dialectic. That's what I'm saying. That's that's my, yeah. Because my, another quote I saw uh, was that um, from that era was to be. I think it was about Hitler being anti-communist. To be anti-communist was anti-Semitic because people would say that that kind of went hand in hand. A lot of the revolutionaries, the I guess communist revolutionaries. I don't know were Jewish so that there was an interrelation, you know, maybe that's where it came from. I really yeah, don't know. There were, he, um, what he says in the book anyway, and we got to take it for what, it, what it's a you know, grain of salt. Right. He was, after his father died when he was a teenager, he was in Venice, I think it was maybe. And he was working in, in the factories because he didn't have any money. Both his parents had died and he was working in the factories uh, to survive. And the communists had, well, they were calling themselves social Democrats. And he talks about in his book, how he agreed with what they were saying. And it wasn't until he learned that they were just using that to manipulate people into joining their movement that he started to have disdain for them. But he would be in these factories and communists would come in and they would pressure everybody in the factories to take a position. Now that's now everything he describes there. It checks out with this Bolshevik book, which was written by the Rand Corporation in the United States. It's almost like reading the same thing. The book you read was written by the Rand Corporation? It was writ- It was sponsored by the Rand Corporation. Really? Yes. Yes. And reading the description of Bolshevik activity and reading Hitler's description of Bolshevik activity when he was working in the factories, it's the same thing. It checks out. And, and like 10 pages later, he talks about it wasn't until later that he discovered that – 
they were Jewish people. It, it's a bit of a jump to, you know, because somebody's Jewish to say that that's why. I think there's well, probably but that's a lot. That's the thing about the dialectic, and it's still at play. See, that's what's weird about yeah. this. It's so polarizing, and it's so. And it's it, it almost the way it plays out on the internet, on the alt right thing, whatever, which is like Trump's stronghold, even though Trump is clearly pro Israel. And in, in this article with Bannon, it was just he was just emphasizes emphasizing how pro Israel he was. He's giving a speech at the Zionist Organization of America to introduce Sheldon Adelson and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but if you if you you know separate out that part and just look at some of the other alt right stuff, it almost has that quality of like the, um, like the truth porn hoax stuff where it can, it can, it can be such a distraction. Like it's the, the men, it's like, you know how like trying to figure out the truth of a false flag event, you just yeah, dive yeah. into that rabbit hole, trying to decide the true, like who's really at the very, very top, like who cares? It doesn't matter. Just just defend the Fourth Amendment. Right. You know, you're not going to crack that code. And I feel like I didn't read Mein Kampf. I'm not fired up to have to read it. But if what, it, but it's I mean, wasn't that the whole thing that that it was a scapegoaty kind of thing that the idea was to fire people up against a despised minority, just like it says in the report from Iron Mountain? I mean, isn't that, that was part of it? Yeah, so it's not even it, it isn't. If if you say this is propaganda, it's not even like this is – it's more of a tool and a very effective and dangerous tool. And, like, that's the thing with with the neo-Nazi stuff and the alt-right stuff and the Antifa stuff and all this stuff just plays into emotion and identity and violence and all these things that take thought and principles and effectiveness, you know, and future thinking – out of it. That's why I hate the identity stuff. I don't care what, I don't care who's using it, the left or the right. See, now the right is using it. So, so used to be the right used it, right? And then the left reacted to it by using it, but acting like they were defending all identities, you know? And then it got to where Hillary set it up, what we were talking about earlier, where you're, def you're defending all identities except white people, yeah. you know? So then you let the white people pick up you know, and what is white? I don't mean white people. Like the neo-Nazis at Charlottesville, I think, were, I mean, that thing seemed to me to be quite orchestrated, quite set up, quite, you know, the cops stand down and the Antifa get violent. And, you know, the whole thing seemed to have some qualities of uh, the setup. So I don't I don't even think there's a white identity that means anything. You know what meant something? The liberty movement meant something. Because it had as its touchstone the foundational documents of this country. And that is what unites us. That's our culture. It's, it's like as if we have our own ethnicity and it has nothing to do with the color of our skin. It has to do with the fact that we're Americans. And I've actually started to think about, you know, maybe one thing that I'm the last person to preach, but the one thing that I maybe we should consider thinking about as a focus is to try to just help people understand young people, people who are new to this country, what it is that makes this country uh, great, what made it great, what those foundational principles are, why they matter, why falling into this really, truly foreign dialectic of the socialist left, which is European, and now the nationalist right, which is also European, why that's uh, unnatural to us and is a, is a, is 
will doom us to failure. And it's why people want to come here is because we still have the remnants of the prosperity that a, a better principles led to. But anyway, so I just feel like that this thing really gets to me because the racism, anti-Semitism, um, all this stuff that's used like dialectically is quite divisive. And then yeah. you got to watch what you're saying. You can't have an honest conversation because people like freak out. Like when I said the thing about it's a slippery slope from the civil rights act to drinking, you know, sugary sodas <laughs> or not smoking in a bar. The guy called me. He's like, how dare you say that? Keep your mouth shut. And I was like, well, no, I was trying to make a point. And he was just like, they choose. No. Yeah. The language is very charged yeah. and they, they choose it on purpose. They form it. They form it on purpose. I, there's another book. A couple of books I'm reading written by former CIA agents. I think one of them is called Spy the Lie. The other one's called Get the Truth. And they're, they're really interesting books. But one of the things they talk about in there is the language selection when they're talking to people trying to get the truth out of them, where they have to avoid certain words because they don't want to trigger them into shutdown mode, where they go into complete defense mechanism and where they choose other words to create mind viruses and stuff like that that gets them to ramble on and spit truth out. And all of that stuff relates to what they do in the media when they have these very crafted language, these words that they choose and they repeat over and over again. Another theme they talk about in those CIA books which they also, which is also always related back to Hitler and Lenin and Stalin. You know, you repeat it enough times, and eventually people believe it as truth, whether or not there's actually any credible evidence to it. Kind of like the the Russia is is, is dominating us theory. But they talk about that in the CIA book, and it's a very common tactic. This this language, avoiding certain language, choosing certain language, forming new language that you can use as as triggers to cause societal conflict. Well, this this bigotry thing, I noticed that. On Fox, like I said, I can't even listen to CNN. Fox is the most I can take. So I listened to it on Sirius. And the, and more than once, numerous times for like a week or two, whenever it was in the news, they said over and over again the exact same thing, which was bigotry is the worst thing in the world right now. Is it not? Or bigotry is the worst thing you can do. Or saying something racist is the worst thing you can do. And I'm sitting there thinking raping a child is probably the worst thing you could do. But if you do that, you can be mayor of Seattle or mayor of any other <laughs> mayor of any place. Yeah, really, that's, I think yeah. it's a criterion. But the but the the idea that bigotry is something you do is absolutely incorrect. So it's a thought, and and maybe it's something you say, but it's not something you do. And if you're wrong, you will suffer the consequences because you can't get from A to B to C. If B is not on the route to C. So when you, when you, when you're outside society or you're wrong or you're stupid or whatever, you will suffer the consequences. But by, by suggesting that a thought or a conversation, God forbid it be construed in a certain way is the worst thing anyone could ever do. It really is meant to stifle your ability to go down certain paths. I'm not suggesting we go down paths of, of, of connecting. I'm an individualist. I don't care about the collective stuff. I don't, I'm not interested in that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a method of dividing us by identifying you in some external way with a group. You lose your individuality. I am not for it. So I'm not saying, 
I advocate bigoted thought. I don't. But I think that you can say and think something stupid and talk to somebody about it, say something stupid at a party and let somebody slap you down and uh, and then you learn something rather than be in constant fear that anything you say or observe is not an okay thought. It's like what she, what Hillary was saying in her clip. It's not okay. Not okay. That, that expression comes out a lot. What you're saying is not okay. That happens a lot. It's not okay. Yeah. I have one more point about that clip. Everything she said, the whole premise of it, that of what's not okay is that Trump was lurking behind her and intimidating her. And I've said this a number of times, but everything that she claimed in that clip, all of it is a lie. It is, is it easy to verify that it's all you have to do is watch the debate again and watch she, whenever she's asked a question, even if she's asked a question from somebody on the other side, she does, I think five out of eight times. She walks up and very casually just starts strolling right over in front of Trump and plants herself directly in front of his podium. So when Trump, like he naturally does, goes back to his podium after he's done talking, it sets him up to make it look like he's lurking behind her when in reality he's going back to his assigned position. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. Well, let let me finish that point real quick. That is a – it's easy to verify that this is a complete and utter lie, but the media and Hillary are still willing to propagate this lie for such a long period of time and bring it back up again. It just really, really gives you insight into just how far they will go and, and just what small things they will lie about in order to push a certain narrative. It's okay. just what else will they lie about? You know. So I agree with you, and I remember my mom had the same observation – when she heard this clip, she called me and said, can you believe that? She was she put her butt in his face, which was exa- – she doesn't listen to our podcast. She listens to the WSB show. It was exactly what you had said. So my mom verifies that she's like average man. She's watching this. Bannon on the interview said uh, – I think he referred to her book, and he said, yeah – Trump won that debate. He used that debate well. He intimidated her, whatever. That's when she really fell apart, and she even admits it in her book. I think he refers to her book in that sentence as well as some other ones. Um, it's crazy. He completely validates that narrative. Completely. That's crazy because when you watch it, he's not intimidating her. See, that's the thing about the Bannon interview is that stuff like that that you know is wrong. Yeah. It's like if you're you're so convincing, like his 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 sketching out this narrative in the interview, it's so it, you just love it. You want to love it. And then you're like, but that's absolutely wrong. So how can how can he say that with absolute certainty and it be wrong? You know, it makes you realize that this guy right, is he's, what, I think, yeah. probably a lifetime actor. Okay, that's all I have on that clip. I do have another segment I want to go into. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. All right. I don't know what we're going to call this segment, but the first thing that popped into my mind is tech noose so we can kind of highlight emerging technology that (laughs) continues to choke out society, you know, really erode our our connection. So there is a lot of stuff uh, right now that is going on with tech that you mentioned a couple before the show that were good. Oh, the Apple, the New Apple Watch oh, and face recognition technology. Yeah, so so I'm standing around the water cooler. Everybody thinks I'm like the conspiracy theorist. I'm like, no, I'm the libertarian. But still, <laughs> <laughs> I 
looking at the thing and I said, oh, facial recognition. I said, you know what doxing is? Like, uh, what? Doxing is when you find somebody, if you go to one of those protests and you out this person on social media, depending on which side of the aisle they're on at the protest. I said, well, now the iPhone can help you do it. And of course, police cameras will do it. So don't expect to ever be able to uh, be at, exercise your First Amendment rights without it being recorded. Yeah, I think Jenny tweeted something at us about that a while ago. There were a few things that came out of uh, various of the protests. But yeah, the iPhone thing. And um, I wondered if, and it's super expensive. So I feel like they're self-selecting. Like yeah, they want, if they make it statusy enough, people will self-select for it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I don't want one. Ha ha, I have an iPhone in my pocket. Doesn't matter. You know, I might as well brag. Hey, look at me get my face recognized. I know. Phone, yeah. But it's like the RFID, RFID, whatever. It's, if oh, you, yeah, yeah. People always talked about that, but I feel like they realized they were not going to get that done. So no, that's where they can get your, out your information off your credit card, right? With a, I, I think they tool. actually put one in your body and they get your, uh, it's like a chip that they will load medical information onto supposedly so if you get you're having a heart attack the ambulance driver can you know scan you and get your return there's a lot of different uses for it i i have a son who escapes he runs away he has down syndrome and he has uh the i i don't i think there's i don't think they implant it they might implant it but certainly you can get something in a shoe or whatever that's like a tracking device that's for sure but people were alerted to this idea of the rfid so they just i think that just the eye watch is just a is a is a way to get people to it doesn't matter if it's actually implanted if you voluntarily put it on every single solitary day and I think they do things like that they see that it's not going to happen the way they thought it was going to happen so they just bypass it so yeah. If they can't get the United States to join the true world authority, what they're actually doing is getting the mayors to do it directly. So the mayors are yeah, all these international organizations because right. read on top of the heap for sure. I just feel like the things that get people like the TPP, people were freaking out about the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. I'm sure there's a backdoor to whatever's happening. You know what I mean? They're not putting that on the shelf. Well, yes, the indirect method. If they can't do it directly, it's the thing that the communists did. The communists yeah. stopped calling themselves stopped calling themselves communists because it drove people away. So they took the indirect method and adopted the language of democracy. And they do the, th- the same thing with technology. They promote the benefits, uh, the prestige of it. Meanwhile, what you're doing is you're carrying around a tracking device all the time. You don't have to have a chip. You know, you're willingly yeah, yeah, giving up sure. your information. Yeah. No, it's so, so hilarious that it's voluntary. I mean, it's it's so obvious and uh i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not doing it but it doesn't it doesn't matter (laughs) it's like vaccines as long as everybody else has one they're definitely going to know where you are they are going to be able to triangulate they already take pictures of your license plate they know where you are other people's phones can surely track your your you know what i mean they can track your phone yep yeah that's how a lot of people get busted cheating is uh, their wife or significant other will turn on the tracker. Yeah, I told you there are algorithms for that too, right? Like so Google could tell right now on your phone or Apple or whatever, your phone, the phone that's been in your pocket, they can make a good guess as to whether or not you're having an affair. It could <laughs> yeah. flag them even, you know, because they would see who if you were going to somebody else's house, like at lunchtime. 
Hmm. Well, that's a note for anybody who's having an affair that might be listening to uh, – Yeah, leave your phone at home. Yeah, leave your phone at home. Go back to the old type of technology. <laughs> so I want to play some clips for you from – it's a show called – it's a British show, and it's called This Morning with Holly and Philip. And the reason it stood out to me is because I've noticed a number of stories like this over the past couple of months. I don't know if you remember, but when we predicted – some themes that we thought that might emerge during 2017. One of the ones that I predicted is that they would start, they would start the mainstreaming of sex AI robots. They would start that process yeah, and yeah, become yeah. more and more normal. And I've seen a number of stories that, in fact, in the past couple of months specifically, that have started to kind of affirm this. One of them is like these brothels have started putting more and more sex bots in there. In their thing because the people like really them. that's a, yeah. that's a real thing that's in a brothel right now yeah yeah it is and uh, there's been ah. other creators like CNN did this this show where they interviewed this guy who he makes them and he loves them and he talks about why people need them and this Do the you main get to clean it yourself like when you that's, use the that's toilet the question I was wondering <laughs> you're How the one who presses work? the button to like change the thing that that rims around the yeah I guess <laughs> I, I don't know how that works out. I don't know. We'll do some further research into how they. Clean <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to talk about that. Some how more? they clean the brothels? <laughs> Not the brothels. <laughs> the, bro- the, the AI. The AI. The brothels. AI. Yeah. Are they AI? Or are they just? There's yeah. They're AI. How intelligent are they? Like, well, I'm about to play you a clip that shows you. Oh, how oh okay, great. This one is this guy's name is Aaron Lee Wright. He is the creator of this AI sex robot named Samantha, and him and Samantha are being interviewed on this morning show. With Holly and Philip. Now, there's a number of things to take away from this. This first clip, he is telling, you know, what it does. He's he's asked about, you know, what's up with this this sex robot you got? What does it do? What's the benefit of it? And here's him describing it. It's not it's not to replace people. We're not trying to replace yeah. women. It's not about that. It's as a supplement, like I explained in previous interviews. It's a supplement to help people. I believe it, it can do that. I think it can help people enhance their relationship. What does she do? She, like I say, you can talk to her, so you can interact. You can tell her you love her. She'll respond. And she'll say this. I love you too. And then she might go on to say, Do you think we could get more sensual? And then, I can take many times much more love uh, just because you uh, can give it. Oh, and oh. I take it all. Oh. Oh. Then- wow, that's really sexy. <laughs> She's just stupid to keep her mouth shut. I mean, doesn't she, she understand talk. decorum? <laughs> in this next clip, the question they asked was, there's vibrators. You know, you can put those in a drawer. So where do you hide her, you know, when your kids and your family are around? What, what do you do? And here's how he answered that question. Well, I had two children myself, and they actually – she's got – Smart has a family mode, which um. – I'll pause it for a second. Yes, he just said she actually has a family mode for anybody who didn't hear that. Here's the rest of the clip. It's, in, it's impossible. To what, she's going to read the kids a bedtime story. She can talk about animals. She can talk about philosophy. She can talk about science. She's got a program of a thousand jokes, which is at random, so I don't know all of them. So there's a lot to Samantha. She's, she's advanced. And so you... So, so- you can switch her over to the family mode and what and have her sitting on the sofa amongst the family yes yes my children they say well, where's samantha so she can be at home you just ask her for example tell me something about well, some and she'll... at some point they're gonna know and how old are they they're young uh, five and three. so they some... ask where she is 
yes, yeah, they say, and when we brought her in the car, they really, they really enjoyed it. But at some point, they're going to go, I'm now old enough to realise that Samantha, Daddy, Daddy has sex with Samantha, and Samantha's not mummy. Is that not, is that not a bit strange? I think the world's changing. I think the world's changing. Wow. This guy's kids are five and three. These are the most formidable years psychologically for them, and this is what's being imprinted on their minds, that this is normal, that their dad... What's wrong with his wife? Like, did they discuss it all? Oh, you're about to find out. (laughs) She can't take it all? His (laughs) wife is there. She's into it. Yes. They have three ways. I don't know. Wait, what about functions? Do I strike you as the kind of girl who wants to hear about this? No, well, I'm, there's a point to all of this that I'll tell you at the end of it. There's a, very, there's a very good point to all of this. One of them is the psychological development of children being around these AI robots that their parents are having three ways with. It's, it's creating this normal normal habit of behavior. They're going to think it's normal. Basically, I'll go ahead and you know hit that point, is they're eroding people's ability to communicate and to have social interactions because – it's you know it causes anxiety it, to when you think well, about. Well, we've talked fear. about that. How like porn is? I, I've heard about this, and I think it's probably true. It's just ruining young, you know, adolescents and stuff as they grow up with these electronics, and they just have constant porn. They're really. I, I personally think it's like my kids are spoiled, and they're never going to want to move out of my house. So I deliberately do not spoil them strictly to get them to always want to move out of my house. If you spoil them with this porn, they're not going to have the drive of like I have to get a girlfriend. Let me think about how to get a girlfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like. Am I wrong? Am I reading? It's hard for me to understand adolescent male, but. The thing you want to think about is you want to relate it to power, which is what I'm going to do, is if you can make everybody in society afraid to overcome the social anxieties that you have as a child, growing up as a teenager, the fear of rejection, developing the ability to communicate effectively, to communicate without without having emotional outbursts, to to be able to regulate your emotion and come to agreements with people and understand and empathize with people. I mean that's a process – when you're growing up that nobody – very few people are just born able to do that. Some people might have parents who are exceptional at it that enable them to you know, learn – develop those skills at an early age. Politicians go to these special oh, schools yeah. where they are learned how to commun- – they learned how to – they learned how to do these things so they can fake empathy and everything. Mm-hmm. And if you can get the rest of the society where they never learn – like if, if you're afraid oh, of being so rejected. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, my God. You're afraid of wow. being rejected as a kid. But why why face that fear when you can just go interact with a sex robot or a, a family mode robot? Like you don't ever have to face those fears. So you never develop those skills, which makes you easily controllable by the the government or the politicians that did develop those skills. So you Dude, completely neutralize society. I was listening to – I like this uh, conversation between Tim Kelly and Joe Atwell. I think it's Power and Principalities. I think it's called this podcast. And uh, – Atwell thinks they are doing autism to kids on purpose I to, can see get, to get – so the different – I discovered this thing. I discovered – I've talked before about how the classical education, the trivium is grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and we talked about it earlier in this conversation. And modern education is just uh, grammar and logic, so it's memorizing stuff and being able to think about things but the rhetoric is the interaction that influence all that kind of stuff with autism he's saying it's on purpose because they can they can function intellectually and 
they can they can do roles and they don't really necessarily question it or or get distracted by socializing or whatever. And this would would play into that that this is a way. I always thought the porn thing was about population reduction. That it's about they all the only sex that isn't okay is the sex between a man and a woman that results in children. Like everything else, anything goes. But that's the one thing they want to make sure. Um, there's birth control, abortion, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but if they're if you think they're deliberately they're doing it to actually make uh, society even weaker, that fits right into what I see as the overarching cultural yeah. subversion. When there's no incentive to overcome the the fears that come with the social development of being able to interact in society, they're not going to. When they have an easy easy way to defer that to these AI robots, then when presented with – when having to face a challenge of maybe bucking up to these elites, they've never ever had to do anything like that before, so they don't do it. So they will always cower in the face of that if this and is the development process. And the only way to do it is experience and practice. Exactly. The- you must do you must learn the hard way all right well here's his wife here's (laughs) and what's okay this is she's not even in the interview area right in the interview there's the two hosts there's the guy there's the robot next to him and there's a psychologist who is just shocked and appalled the whole time of what this guy says and she makes a good point that I'll, I'll play that one also. But the white, you know, in those rooms where they cut away, like on Jerry Springer, they'll say so and so is in the back, and they'll cut to like yeah. an isolated room. That's where the yeah. wife is, right? That's how so, she's gotten relegated, like Ron Paul in the garage and the SNS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what's great about this clip is if you're watching it during the middle of his wife's statement, it cuts back to him, and he puts his hand lovingly on the doll's leg, on her thigh. <laughs> As his wife is talking. Oh, that makes me want to puke. Right. We'll see what other observation you have about his wife after you hear the clip. And uh, let me, your, your, your wife is over there. <laughs> Are you happy with this? Yes, I am. Totally happy with yes. having Samantha on your sofa with your kids around. Yes, completely. And why do you, why are you comfortable with it as a woman? Um, you know, we as a woman, we, you know, um, I'm not, um, be offense to have her around. Yeah. Or I'm not being, you know, like worried that she, um, might be, um, Replacing? Yeah, no, no, not at all. She's just uh, someone there, you know, as a like a family member. Why don't you? Um, is he going to make a bloke for you? <laughs> no, not at all. You know, I'm not worried at all because I'm not replaced by you know Samantha. Yeah. Um, she's actually um, helped us to enhance our relationship. Helped enhance the relationship. Now they it's don't. Like she didn't talk love. about the three way. Yeah. yeah, it's like big love with uh, a robot, and that. <laughs> That woman, when you're watching it, the first thing I thought is mail order bride. She, she sounds has to like be a mail order bride. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's attractive. This guy yeah. is not, you know, the most attractive. And I don't know if, if you're coming at somebody and saying, "Hey, guess what I do? I make sex bots." You know, that's not also. I don't think that would be the most attractive thing either. Maybe it would intrigue. I have no idea. He's got an interesting. If this is like you said, if this is what he's willing to put forth to the public. The stuff that he's not willing to tell the public about, my gosh, there's no telling. <laughs> Maybe he's just a full-on exhibitionist and, yeah, and his kids and he are all hang out. Oh, but his kids are going to be screwed up probably just genetically and, you know, whatever he's bringing to the table to start out with. But to see the outward manifestations of what's going on inside his head. 
I don't know, man. Yeah. But you know what? We shouldn't judge. Samantha is a person. She needs she is now. She's oh, gonna get rights. She's not a person. The <laughs> therapist pointed out and made a very good point that and I, I didn't realize they were doing this. I saw it go into this. I didn't realize they were already doing it. But in Japan, they are making sex bots that are children. So whoa, that, yeah. I see. I knew that was coming when they started doing this because I'm like, this is the, like it's gonna you're gonna be oh. going to the store and then these people are gonna ask, well, do you have anything a little bit younger? Oh so, my gosh, that makes me physically ill. It puts children in danger. Right. It puts children in danger. Then the other argument that people have made in support of it is, or does it give an or out, them out of danger? No. Right. It no. promotes the behavior. You know. You know what happens Dude. when the, when the sex you can't get somebody who can't afford a sex bot. Somebody loses his job, can no longer afford uh, a sex bot. He's going to start, you know, or it's going not hurt. enough. Remember Triumph, the insult comic dog. Yeah. Did he not have a show? Is it him who used to eat? I can't believe it's not poop. Oh, I don't know. Of I can't believe it's not poop, but he just sometimes he just couldn't take it, and he just had to eat poop, <laughs> real poop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just had to. <laughs> Uh, oh, right. I do remember that. I see what you're saying. I see the relation. You know, it doesn't really cure him of his poop habit, and it just, it's not always it's good enough. Yeah, until he blows up, until he relapses. Like methadone. You can give them methadone all day long, and when, you know, they It's twisted, stop man. And this technology, it's only getting more advanced, and it's going to put these questions. You're just, and, it's really scary. Like, you're saying this stuff, and now I understand how most of the world walks around all day because you're saying this, and I'm going, Stop, 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 stop talking. Stop. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing anything about it. It's definitely happening. I'm going to pretend it's not happening and I'm not going to remember it. And the next time you tell me, I'm going to be like, really? Again, <laughs> because you probably told me about it before. And that is how I think people are walking around in the world right now about everything. Right. Well, I guess you don't want to use this drop clip on the Saturday show, which I, I think would be hilarious. Although I know you'd never, never use it, but here's a drop clip that I cut from from that interview. It's a bit like making love to a car GPS, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that would only work if my show was like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll use it for the propaganda report. We don't need to worry about it for the... That's fine. If there ever is a time where you feel like this... That that's an appropriate analogy. Uh, feel free to drop that. It's yeah. worth watching the interview just to see the, the guy who's hosting... Are you kidding? I ask. never want to hear about this again. It's a bit like having oh, sex with a car GPS, isn't it? I mean, in my experience, should I tell you what that's like? <laughs> you know, like, what does he know? He's like, no, no, I've done that. It's completely different. Uh, <laughs> I've tried everything. You think I wanted to build a robot? Right. Just please thank God the dishwashers aren't talking yet. <laughs> he goes, at one point, the, the host goes, I touched it, and this was a bit eerie to me. Her skin feels real, but it's cold, like a corpse. And the oh, guy is like, yeah. well, yeah, you, you, <laughs> we can heat it up, but it takes, you know, double A batteries or whatever the batteries, and it would take a lot more power to warm it up. So we haven't, we're working on that. Uh, but at least they can tell jokes during family time. <laughs> family time. You know, what if the kid accidentally yes. flips the switch? Oh my gosh, it's all, man. <laughs> And then she's reading the story and just saying, you know, I can take if, a lot. <laughs> what if they flip what if they flip it into family mode during a three-way? Does it does it start screaming or does it just telling start philosophy, telling jokes while they're trying to get it on? 
Uh, all right, that's all I've got for today. If you got whatever you want to add, I think we have a few minutes. Well, this is time for that drop. Nothing's going to top that. All right. <laughs> Nothing's going to top that. All right. Good. <laughs> uh, do we have a word of the week? Do we have any, uh, any fun oh, little? You made, me th- you made me think of a word earlier. Yep. I don't remember what specifically. I think you were talking about Bannon. But transmission belt, not the transmission belt on our cars, but transmission belt is what Lenin and the Bolsheviks called these liberal groups that were acceptable to society. They saw these groups oh, as, trans, as transmissions belt, transmission belts that they could spread their message, transmit it to them by infiltrating the groups and essentially – you know, co-opting them and spreading their message via already acceptable. It's in their theory of access. That's what it is. Their theory of access is one of their terms. That's what the neocons did to the Tea Party to get people to go behind. The people who were just focused on taxing up already, that was the Tea Party, to start advocating for war. Yep, exactly. That's what they do. They look for these ways to access the public mind through these groups that are acceptable to large portions of it, and they transmit their idea through those groups. That's the theory behind it. Well, on that note, that was very interesting. Thank you very much. I am uh, going on vacation. I have a that cool fight. I'm going to see Triple G oh, versus yeah. Canelo. Super excited about that, although I'm actually excited about it because – they're both great fighters. It's when you see one of these great fighters fight a guy who's just doing it for the money yeah. that it's just awful. I mean, there was this one guy, Kirkland, was it Triple G who was beating the crap out of him or Canelo, one of those guys. His 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 body just looked like it turned to liquid, like as it hit the thing. It was just like ripples as if there were no bones or anything in it. And I just – that was almost the end of my interest in boxing. Such a but, brutal sport. Yeah, but this – I have my family goes way back. Big yeah. boxing family. So I want to check it out. I think it's going to be cool. You going to bet going, on it? I am not going to bet on it. I actually, this one, if any were not fixed ever, I would think it would be this one. But uh, generally, I don't have a lot of faith in the in that. <laughs> I like Baccarat. And it's in Vegas, so I am going to bet on Baccarat. I like Baccarat. Uh, and then I'm going to... London, and I am going to bring my little portable microphone so that we can, even though the WSB show will not be on, hopefully we can do another a uh, a propaganda report from abroad. All right, that I that, might even have a little uh, Liberty on the Rocks with some foreign tweeps. I'll tell you how that goes. That'll be interesting, definitely. Make sure to subscribe to the Propaganda Report, Propaganda Report Daily. dot com, and click on the little Apple or the Google icon on the right, and tell your friends about it if you like the show. Absolutely. If you can't uh, contribute, that's okay. Share every show you like. Thank you so much. This is Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. Thank you, Binkley. Talk to you later. later.